Please tonight to John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter number 3. Glory to God. We're ready for the word. And we'll continue tonight with the Lord's help, talking about building the family. And these are my sermon notes. I thought, I've almost got a good book manuscript going on this short sermon series here that's six weeks in. So, hallelujah. Anyway, I trust that uh, we're all getting uh, something good uh, out of our focus in ministry time. That's God's intent. And uh, whether you're single, uh, whether you've got kids grown up out of the house, uh, whatever it may be, you could take the principles from God's Word that we're discussing and talking about. And you could apply them to every dynamic in your life, every relationship, and uh, be blessed in it. Amen? Uh, praise God. But we are focused on the marriage and on the children and on the family, on the nuclear home. I just saw, I didn't read the headline. I read the headline, I didn't read the article. But uh, the headline today in one of the news, uh, scrolling the news that I saw, was that uh, the United States, the latest study has shown that uh, our birth rate has fallen to a 100-year low, a historical low. And uh, why would that be? Well, because of family breakdown. Uh, family breakdown. People are not getting married. They're choosing not to start families. And they have, we have preventative measures right now. I'm not against that. But uh, people are just choosing. Uh, not to, you know, that's not good for a long-term survival of a nation. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, so anyway, it's just another little indicator of the crisis level that our nation's in when it comes to marriage and family. You know, we teach a lot of things. This is not a lesser than side topic. You know, we talk about prosperity. I spent 35 uh, messages, you know, one year talking about prosperity, and that's fine. We talk about healing a lot, talk about faith, talk about prayer, talk about miracles, talk about evangelism, talk about all kinds of things. But I tell you what. So many people are so distracted by family dysfunction, they don't have really time uh, to think about how to move forward in the plan of God for prosperity or, you know, to start a ministry, different things, because they're just trying to survive in their home another day. And we have to get stable. We have to get healthy. We have to get strong in our family, because if we don't, we're going to forfeit large measures of what God has for us. Large measures of joy, large measures, measures of happiness. But at the same time, we will forfeit measures of the plan of God because He just cannot work, like I told the staff meeting, uh, the staff in our meeting this week, in disorder. God's a God of order. God's a God of, And we've got to have every facet of our life, including our marriages and our families, in divine order if we're going to live God's highest and best. Amen? Praise God. And you have a lot of things... A lot of things missing, a lot of things short in your spiritual life. But I tell you what, if you have sweet, sweet home, sweet kids, sweet family life, you got something to work with. Right? But again, so many people, they can't really get beyond into the greater areas that God might have. Because again, they're just consumed all day long with the problems and challenges of an imperfect marriage and an imperfect home. Amen? And no condemnation for that, but that's one of the, we're, we're taking time, being led by the Spirit to focus on this so that we can be uh, strengthened, we can be instructed, we can be fortified, we can be equipped uh, in this area. So you ready to hook on with me? Yes. Praise God. So without going to Matthew chapter 7, that's our kind of our bedrock, uh, praise God, key text scripture for this series, talking about that he that hears the sayings of Jesus and does them, is counted as a what? A wise person who built their house on the rock. When the storm comes, uh, their house doesn't fall. Again, why? Because they built their life on the rock. Building your life, your house, your marriage, your family on the rock is what? It's as simple as hearing and doing the word. Hearing and doing the word is a lifestyle. But hearing and not doing as a lifestyle, as a habit, is to be likened as a foolish person who built their house, their family, their marriage on the sand. It may stand to look really pretty for a while, but it's surely going to fall when a strong enough wind comes along. And it will. Jesus said it would. And great will be the fall and the collapse of that. So we're talking about how different aspects of the Word, 
about how to build our family uh, on the rock. And we're talking about the love of God. And we're not done yet talking about the love of God. Amen. This afternoon, the Spirit of God seemed to quicken to me these words. I just want to read them to you before we uh, read John chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, uh, no one, God told me today, no one really loves the Word who does not do the Word. No one really loves the Word who does not do the Word. Many just give the Word lip service with their amens and their hallelujahs. But true love for the Word is when we let it change our thinking, our, let it govern our behavior, and dictate our words. If the messages, if your Bible reading if you are not, if I am not allowing the Word to affect change in the way I think, if I don't read it with the, with the thought, with the purpose, I am, this is data, and I'm going to program the computer of my soul and my mind with that data. I'm going to let the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, the words of God, amen, change the way I think. So when... What I think doesn't match what I read. I'm going to change what I think to match what I read. That person loves the Word. When a person can come to any church that's preaching the Bible, read their Bible, read books on the Bible, read uh, you know, books like mine and others that are written on different topics of the Bible, and our thinking stays the same, our behavior never changes, the words we speak never change, we don't love the Word. I don't care how many seminars, how, many, how faithful you are to church attendance, how loud you are with your amen or your hallelujah. And I like that. God likes that. But again, we don't love the Word unless we're doing it. Amen? amen. Praise God. You know, you can come to the right place, hear the right message, a life-changing message with the anointing of the Spirit on it, and absolutely leave the same. Amen? I, the reason that I have made some progress, at least as a believer is that's because that's my approach. This is my manual. This is final authority in my life. What it says is right. What it says is true. Whether I've thought it that way or not thought it that way. Amen? And I am going conf- to... I'm not going to try to twist and rest the Scriptures to fit my paradigm. I'm going to change my way of thinking and doing and speaking to match what's written. And that's, that's the kind of mindset you got to have to build your family on the Word. So husbands, you got to be willing to let the Word of God we're teaching affect your thinking about how you're conducting yourself in your home as a dad, as a husband. Same thing wives. Same thing's children. Amen. Praise God. Otherwise, for you that do and, you know, hear and don't do any, that it's... It would have been better for them if they had not even come. Because the hearing, even if you don't do, makes you accountable to do. Amen. Anyway. All right. Praise God. And so tonight I want to, uh, to talk to us the supreme thing floating around in my heart tonight about love. The love of God is when loving is hard. When loving is hard. You know, this walking in the love of God is a challenge because we have selfish flesh on our bones. No matter how sweet you are, but it's a my I mean it's mountains easier when you're loving the very lovable. You know? I I, I have an advantage. I, I have someone very likable, very lovable to love. She makes Walking in the love of God, quite easy. Amen? Not, not perfect. Amen? And not either way. But you know, not everybody has the dynamic that Amber and I have today. Or that you may have in your marriage. And we may go through seasons, right? Where the one we're in, you know, living with is not, doesn't make it as easy. Okay, y'all praise God. So we're going to get this on the tape. That somebody needs to hear a message tonight about when loving is hard. Amen. And these, these things from Jesus and from the Word are seldom taught and seldom talked about, but they're in there. 
You know, we as humans, even Christians, we like to do, we get excited about what's easy. We get excited about what makes us feel good. Right? Amen. But if we're going to be real Christians and real believers, we must accept the whole thing. Receive the whole thing. The whole counsel of God's Word. Amen. So the way I want to start this is we're in John chapter 3, very familiar verse around the world, John 3, 16. And I want to talk in the beginning here about love's highest expression. Love's highest expression. We're talking about what the love of God is, what the love of God does, what does it look like. John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Everyone say, he gave. For God so loved. So God is love and He loved the world. He loved the soul. He loved the world so much. What did He do? He gave. He gave. What is love's highest form or action or expression? It's giving. Amen. Love's highest expression is giving. For God so loved the world. Now, was the world in, as a whole in love with God? No. Were, they, were many in the world asking for God to give? No. The Bible says that when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God gave His Son because He loved the world who were many at that time His enemies. So love's highest expression is giving and it's not just this love of God. It's not giving to those that love God. God loves those who do not love Him who have rejected Him, who are not interested in Him, and yet God loves them. Amen? And loved them so much that what did He do? He didn't give a token. He didn't give something cheap. He gave His most precious. He gave the highest. He gave what was needed. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would not, who would believe upon Him, would not perish, but have everlasting Life. Amen? Quickly here, because we got some ground to cover. Go to Galatians with me. Chapter number 2. Galatians 2. I want to give you a, a couple of references here to us. And there are many throughout your New Testament. If you just look up gave or gave himself or he gave, it's all over the New Testament. Love gives. That's what love does. The love of God gives. Now, we're not talking about natural human love because natural human love is selfish. Amen. Natural human love will give if it believes there's something, there's a return in it for them. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll do this for you, but I'm expecting a return. The love of God gives without condition. Amen. So Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I give, yet, uh, live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by the faith of the Son of God, who what? Loved me. How did Paul know that God loved him? Who gave himself for me. This is Paul's revelation. I was crucified with Christ because Christ was on the cross for Paul, for me. If I was Paul, quoting him. He says, now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What is love's highest expression? Giving. Go to, uh, uh, just to the right, another book, to Ephesians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Listen, we, need, we don't just need this as information. You may, you may already know this as information. Do you have it as a revelation? Do you have it alive on the inside of you? 
how, how much of this kind of love. And I, you know, it's, I'm just thinking about myself, not so much thinking about you as I judge myself as a person in these things. How much of my day is my whole thought parameter surrounded about me and my? But see, because the love of God is thinking all about His kids and the world and what could they do and what do they need and what would bless them and how can I help them and how can I move in their life and intervene in their life and protect their life and bless their life. That, that's what God is consumed with. God is not on the throne going, how can I get them to do this for me and that? But I just wonder how much of our headspace is occupied with me and mine. It would just be natural <laughs> for that to be the dominant thing because you're with you all the time. <laughs> Amen. But see, as a married couple, you know, I ought to be devoting some time, even when my wife is away from me, maybe especially when she's away from me. What did she tell me to do? What does she like? What does she not like? What could I do to bless her? Okay, she's going to be coming home in a little bit. How could I make this great for her? Love's highest expression is giving. A lot of times, you know, we'd be thinking about, where is she? I'm hungry. Where is she? The laundry's not done. Where is she? What is that, right? That's, hello. Say, Pastor, you're in my business. Well, that's what I, that's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, amen. Praise God. So we're here in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. And uh, praise God. And uh, let's look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what? There it is. He gave Himself for it. Another statement I've read in Dr. Seville's Material and Prosperity I've really liked is, he said, another one of the secrets of walking in the blessings of God is first, give God yourself. Give yourself to God and then give of your substance. Some people want to give their money, but they don't give themselves. The greatest gift we could give back to God is our whole life, our whole being, all of us. Amen. You see, if we really love God with agape love, then we have given ourselves to Him. Christ, for the church, what has He done? He loved the church in giving Himself for the church. And that is... What Paul said by the Spirit here, that is the model, that is the example for all Christian husbands. Husbands are commanded to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave all of Himself. If you have anything as a husband that you're trying to hold back, keep back, restrict to yourself, is that the way Christ has He held back? Has He restricted anything? Does he try to control stuff? Oh, come on, it gets quiet. Let's, let's, let's go to Romans. Since we've already begun to meddle, let's just meddle. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. God's kind of love did not hold back. It doesn't hold back. It doesn't hold back. Praise God. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, is He for us? Who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son. Talk about God. He, did God hold back? Well, He didn't even spare His own Son. But delivered Him up for us all. How shall He, God, not with Him also freely give us all things? 
I mean, if up front, we already read John 3.16, if God gave the world His only begotten Son, Paul is now saying, what will God withhold? What will God hold back if He gave... Some people, they say so foolishly, I just, I just wish God would show me that He loves me. That's, that's, that's an insult. You give that some thought. I just, I just really wish that God would prove His love to me. Would it, prove His love to you. Well, how come this happened? Listen, the God, He demonstrates His love for us every day, all the time, in many ways. But in the giving of His Son, He long ago demonstrated His supreme, radical, no-holds-barred love for you in the giving up of His own. Never say, never question, never ask God to do another thing to prove to you that He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you and me. Amen. But back to my my main point here, love's highest expression is giving. And we're talking about giving the precious, giving radically. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I guess it's Dr. Savelle Knight. It's another quote from him. The true essence of living, he said, is giving. You want to break what what real life, the best life, you want to break it down to to its essence, to its foundation. The essence of life is giving. God exists to give and to bless, and to sustain, and to deliver, and to share. And if He is in us, is He in us? Then there should be this inner working. We're not perfect. Some of us are babes in Christ. Some of us are much more developed in Christ. But the one, if we're going to claim to be much more developed in Christ, we ought to see if God's dominant attribute is love, and it is, 1 John 4, 8, for God is love, and the highest expression of love is giving, then if you really have God at work in you at all, He's turning you into a giver. Not just money at offering time for church. You give to your wife. Your wife, you give to your husband. You give of your time. You give of your prayer. You give of your honor. You give of your love. You give of your affection. You give of your service. You give, you give, you give. That's what love does. Love gives. Are you getting this? He said it this way, Dr. Savelle. The law of God is give. If the royal law in the new covenant is love, and love's highest expression is give, then the law of God is give. There's two kinds of people in the, in the world today. Two kinds. Which one are you? There are givers and there are takers. And I've made a decision a while ago now. I'm going to live on the giving side of life. It's the secret. That's where the happiness is. That's where the joy is. That's where the blessing is. Jesus said, it's quoted in Acts, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The devil has told Christians and the world a great big lie that the more you take, the happier you'll be. It's a lie. It's a total lie. The more money you take, the more homes you take, the more cars you take, the more clothes you take, the more men you take, the more trophies you take, the happier you'll be. It's a lie. It's exactly the opposite. The more you give, the more you bless, the more you give away, the more you serve, the happier you will be. To live a self-centered, self-focused life is to live frustrated, unhappy, and unfulfilled. If you want to be... a God's a happy God. And all He does is give. And see, the trick is, natural human love will get excited about giving if it sees a, a reciprocation. 
But the love of God, the pureness, the, 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 the divine nature of the love of God, that love finds its delight in the gift itself. Doesn't matter. In the giving, in the offering, in the making it available, in the serving, in the sacrifice. That's where God's joy comes from. It's not in what the person does with the gift. Get your eye off what they do, what they don't do, how they respond, how they don't respond. Find your fulfillment in the giving itself. Do it unto the Lord. That's the love of God at work in us. Amen? Praise God. One more quote from Dr. Seville. Life is centered around how much of ourselves we can give away. Not how much we can get. When our entire existence is giving of ourselves, then we will begin to walk in divine prosperity. See la. Write it down. Meditate on it. Get the CD. Listen to Life is centered around how much of ourselves can I give away? Not how much I can get for myself. When our entire existence... I'm just so excited. I'm going to have to go back down to that church and serve again. That's not the love of God. That's not a Christ-like attitude. The love of God would serve every minute of every day at church if it could. Because that's where it would find joy in that. Got that text from Sister Debbie. It's my turn being again with the kids. Praise God, we're glad you're coming, I think. But you, you need a divine work, at, work in your heart. You don't get it yet. You're in the flesh. We all have flesh. I understand what it's like to be in the flesh. But we need to step over and remind ourselves what's attached to our serving, what's attached to our giving. And there's only a reward for the giving, not the begrudging. Not what we do for God out of a sense of obligation or to keep Pastor Chris happy. I mean, don't do it for me. Amen. Do it for God. If God's love is really at work in us, it will turn us into a selfless, joyful giver. And that's one of the ways you kind of know where you are on the spectrum. How selfless and joyful am I in my giving? Not just my money, but in all my interactions. In all my interactions, whatever the dynamic. How much am I a selfless, joyful giver in my marriage, to my children, to my church, to my company I work for, to my community, to the kingdom, to everybody I come in contact with. No one likes someone that you begin to figure out over time that they're working their way in, saying all kinds of nice things, but they've got a hidden motive to get, to get influence, to get a platform, to get a launch, to get whatever. Right? And that happens, you feel icky inside because you realized they didn't really like you. They weren't really interested in you. You know, Dr. Hadabaugh, my friend Dr. Hadabaugh made this statement one time. He says, you find one person out there in the world other than your spouse that really is genuinely heartfelt, interested in you, you're a blessed person. Because most people are not. Most people are interested in theirs. And that's in the book of Philippians. Paul said, Paul, the great apostle, said, I have no one but Timothy that's like-minded. I got nobody out there except Timothy that thinks like me. Everybody else? They do something for God, but they have, a, they have a different motive. Their motive is not Christ in advancing His interest. Think about that. That's sad. Anyway, hallelujah. All right, praise God. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Okay, so, you know, like I said a moment ago, love's grace. It's, it's when you've got someone that receives and appreciates and is thankful, and is really for you, and is kind, and has the love of God working on them. Well, this is easy to practice. 
But what about when you're in a situation where you're, you're loving the unlovable? You're loving the one who doesn't care about what we're talking about. They're not interested. They're in the flesh, and all they're showing you is that they're going to stay in the flesh. What about these situations in a, in a marriage covenant? Can I get a divorce? Uh, well, no, not necessarily. Under some circumstances, you can. If, love, if the violation of the love law is so, to, to a degree and so consistent, yeah, the, the marriage will fail and God will be all right with it. He hates it, but he'll understand it. But for the most part, just because you got you know, Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy Pants in your house doesn't mean that you get to get a divorce with God's approval. Amen. So, okay, you ready for this? You've got a few minutes left. I'm going to take it here. Let's go to Matthew and let's read. I hope you got your you know, seatbelt on the sanctuary because these are some of the most challenging statements that Jesus, in my view, that Jesus ever made. Amen. I mean, if you're going to be a real Christian, you're going to have to swallow hard, right? Okay, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse number 38. Verse number 38, Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I got the t-shirt. An eye for an eye. Now, what is Jesus referring to? You remember the new covenant wasn't in force yet. It's coming. It's close. Jesus is about to pay for it. He's about to launch the new covenant. But he's living under the old covenant. He's living under the dictates of the law of Moses. And under the law of Moses, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Amen. Now, in reading commentaries about this, uh, it, it helped me because uh, the consensus was that this law, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was not about giving the offended permission to get vengeance or to pay back. It was to protect the offender. Now, how would that be? So to make sure that the punishment was never more severe than the crime. You take an eye, I'm taking your head. No, it's an eye for an eye. You stole my horse, I'm taking the horse. The punishment, do you see that? And I really didn't think about that either. But he said the reason God put that law in there was not to give the offended person, the victim, the satisfaction of retribution. But to protect the offender to make sure that the penalty was never more severe than the crime. Amen. And so Jesus said, you have heard... Under the law, because they read it, they were well versed in it, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your master? You sure? <laughs> okay. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. Now swallow that. That's, that tastes pretty bitter in my mouth. Resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now imagine yourself being slapped. <laughs> and you go, okay, amen. Man, it gets, it gets quieter and quieter, hallelujah. Verse 40, and if any man will sue you, at the law, take you to court and take away your coat. Should you fight in court to defend your coat? No, it says, let him have your cloak also, your outer coat. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Now, again, in studying today, I, I saw something I hadn't seen before. This word compel. Now, in Roman times... Roman soldiers had governmental backing and authority to compel any private citizen to compel them into service if they saw fit, if they saw that it was necessary. So if a Roman soldier 
got into a situation and he needed the farmer's horse, he could compel the farmer to give up the horse. It's like the FBI coming up in the chase saying, give me your car. Right? Right? That they could compel every member of the family into warfare or battle if necessary. This is the word and understanding they had when Jesus used the word compel. So anyone that compelled you to walk with them a mile, Jesus said, don't go a mile, go two. This is where go the extra mile, the phrase comes from. Now, we're not talking about going the extra mile for someone you like. We're not going the extra mile for your favorite person, your BFF. Okay, hallelujah. Amen. Verse 42, give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn thou not away. You have heard that it has been said, again quoting the law, you shall love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What is the highest expression of love? Give. So Jesus is saying, you have heard that it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, give to your enemy. Well, we may not shout, praise God tonight. I don't. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I, he said, I love, bless, excuse me, you've heard verse 43, now verse 44, 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. What is he? He's shifting from the Old Testament to the New. How come under the Old Testament it was eye for an eye, but now Jesus is changing it? Because the love of God is about to be deposited in people's hearts. Because soon and very soon, they'll have the capacity to do it. And right now where you sit today as a born-again believer, you have the love of God, so do I, shed abroad in my heart. And so when we get cursed, we should never curse. When we get reamed out, we should never ream back. When someone's rude to us, we should never be rude in response. Apply this to your marriage. Apply this to your family. Apply this to your relationships at work. Amen. So he goes on and says, Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now notice verse 46, it really brings it home. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even publicans do the same. In other words, ungodly people love those who love them. Loving people that love you doesn't make you something, something. But loving someone that does not love you. Loving someone that cusses you out. Loving someone that's using you, persecuting you, mistreating you, mishandling you. When you do that, God says, now you're acting like me. Now there's evidence that I'm on the inside of you because I do that with the world all day long every day. Hallelujah. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? The real reward comes in when you love those who don't deserve it, who aren't acting right. And if you salute your brethren, your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do that? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. All right. Let me read uh, part of this to you. Uh, from the message translation. I don't know if we could put that up, but uh, I think you'll really like this modern rendering. So I'll just read it to you. Just listen along or maybe they'll have it. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? 
You know, it's, it's just being, you're in the flesh, I'm going to be in the flesh. You do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. Is that going to get us anywhere? See, this is going to bring out some of the power because I tell you what, doing this, obeying it, living like this, you do that by faith. But you're like, why? Why? Right? I mean, come on, just be honest. Why? This rendering, we don't want to. They don't deserve it. Why should I? Well, there's revelation here we need to catch. You got a few more minutes? Amen. So you have, this deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, give gift wrap your best coat and make it a present. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. Listen, if... If that person brings out the worst in you, that's not their fault. You can't blame you showing everyone the worst of you on them. Not with the love of God on the inside. I know this is kind of meaty, right? That's why we're doing this on Wednesday. <laughs> Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish. To everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If, you, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, are you ready for it? Grow up. People that are only nice and sweet when others are nice and sweet to them are showing their spiritual immaturity. He says, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. What if God decided every time you let me down, I'm going to let you down in some area? What if God did that? That'd be bad. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? So we've got to stop all this immaturity stuff. Now let's go to Romans 12 and let's, let's do another quick passage and then we'll, we'll wind it up by, by talking to you about the real power and joy of the why, the plan of God in why we should love and what can happen if we will love our enemies, love the unlovable with the love of God. Amen? And we'll close on a high note, praise God. Romans chapter 12. I know this is challenging. The flesh does not want to hear this. And one of the things that will come up in conversation is that if I just, if I do what Jesus said do and I act this way, then I, then I, I feel weak. That it's a, it's a, it's a weak, it's a characteristic of weakness in my nature to take it, to put up with it. But it's not. You have to be strong. You have to be strong to stay peaceful when they're having a fit. It takes a strength to love and, and, and to be patient and to be restrained when someone's flying off the handle and really acting a fool. It's not weakness. 
to suffer wrongdoing for the Lord's sake. It's strong. It takes strength. Anyone can get on Facebook and vent all over the place about their mate or their spouse. Anybody can come up with a revenge. Anybody can do eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But it takes spiritual substance and strength and the working of God in your heart to a good, strong degree to respond in the genuine love of God to someone who's really trying to hurt you. I'm not talking about physical. I'm just talking, you know what I mean? Not being nice. For instance, in a marriage relationship, when someone is inherently selfish and they are totally uninterested in lifting a finger to meet the covenant needs of their mate. Right? And that mate is enduring that treatment for that one to, with open arms, generously continue to give to meet the needs of their mate. That takes love. That takes strength. That takes faith. And that's all, that ought to be what happens. Anybody could say, fine. I know what their needs are. Right? We just get in this cycle. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You don't meet my need, I'm not going to meet your need. And you get in this vicious cycle that somebody's going to have to step off of that. Amen? And say, no more. It takes, it takes tremendous strength to do that. And faith in God. Amen? All right, did you find Romans chapter 12? Okay, praise God. Romans chapter 12. And for time's sake, I had a different translation also on that, so I'll just read that instead of the King James and then this. So this is the New Living Translation. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 and then 14 through 21 of Romans chapter 12. And it sounds very similar to what Jesus just read. Again, this is just the Apostle Paul speaking by the Spirit. So don't just pretend to love others, verse 9 says. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. You should hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. See, take delight in it. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. <laughs> Look at verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. You want to stand out in this world? Be disrespected and dishonored, and yet honor and be honorable. Be slighted and mistreated and not feel like you have to tell everybody you know about it. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. If you're out spreading and talking about other people's missteps, faults and failures, you're wrong. Hello. Amen. Praise God. So never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Are you doing all you can to live at peace in your home? Amen. Dear friends, Paul says, never take revenge. Revenge. Dr. Doolittle, anyway. <laughs> never take revenge. Leave, now here we go. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. And we're going to get you to a nugget of revelation before we leave, if you, give, if you bear with me. Amen. About why, what the power that happens when we choose to love no matter what they're doing. So he says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Who's bigger? You or God. Who's got more resources? You or God. 
Who's got stronger biceps, you or God? Who could do better paying back, you or God? Don't think that if I love the unlovable and love with unconditional love the undeserving, that justice won't come. It will always. Always. Our job, though, is not to seek justice. That's not our job. Our job is not to seek justice. Our job is to do what the Bible tells us. Pray, bless, do good to, be kind to, pray for, talk good about the one who's injured us, and put their situation in God's hands. Did God say, I'll repay? That's what this says. This says, I will pay them back. Then in verse 20, instead, if your enemies are hungry, what are we supposed to do? Feed them. If they are thirsty, what are we supposed to do? Give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of uh, shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you but conquer evil with good. Kind of wrap this up, sum this up here. The reason you should be excited, you should with all your might love the absolute unlovable is because of these few things. Number one, amen, it keeps you in position where you can continue to receive God's blessings and where you remain untouchable to the devil. No matter what they do, if I act like the devil, the devil can move in my life. Don't ever forget, it does not matter what they do on their side of the ledger. If I violate the love law, I have now disobeyed God and I am now out of position to receive His blessings. I want to stay in, I want to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. So if I want to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, I have to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. To abide under the shadow of the Almighty is to abide under the shadow of love. If I step out from underneath it, they didn't make me, it's my choice. They didn't make me act nasty. They didn't make me curse back. I chose to do that. But if I stay sweet and I stay silent and I stay quiet and I bless instead of curse and I pray for instead of against, then I'm walking in love. They're not, but I am in a position where I can be provided for, I can be protected, I can have the anointing, I can move forward in God's plan, I can walk in all the covenant, my covenant rights and blessings. That is why you should love the unlovable. So that you, number one, can stay in position where you can receive and partake of the blessings because love is the greatest commandment. Number two, what I just said, is it keeps you untouchable to the enemy. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to keep the door shut to the devil by not acting the way you're acting. By not responding in kind. I don't want the devil in my finances. I don't want the devil working sickness, disease in my body. I don't want him setting up a car accident for me. And I can't control what everybody else does, but I can control if the devil's got access to me and whether or not I'm in position to receive God's blessings. But do you see the other thing? The other thing is, I guess this would be number three is that when I love the unlovable, when I walk in love with everyone, my home, my kid, doesn't matter, church everywhere, I'm going to walk in love. <sighs> what it does is it heaps conviction. When I walk in love, come on, when, when someone's nasty and you're sweet, whether they show it or not, they're going to walk away and that's going to sit on them. That's going to sit on them. Wow, man, I was... I was, I was, and look at how they, and that's going to work on them. When you walk in love, when they didn't, the Spirit of God will take your love action and He will heap 
coals of fire of conviction upon the head of the offender. And they will live under that. They will live under that. They're like, man, wow. And they'll just, and see, that's what we want. We want them living under conviction because it's not your nagging wives that's going to change your husband. But the conviction of the Holy Ghost can do a lot more than what, we can't berate or threaten or manipulate our mate, our spouse. That's not the way to get what you want. But if you'll walk in love and you'll walk in selflessness, they know they're being selfish. They may never admit it to you. But they know. They know. But they don't, the Spirit of God doesn't respond and bring that coal of fire. Remember what he said in Romans 12? If your enemy's hungry, do feed them. And now you have some, this would be more a little easier for you because you know the strategy. There's a divine strategy. And you, Turkey, I'm going to bless you. Because. By blessing you, the Spirit of God is going to... You're not going to sleep very well tonight. You're going to have this conviction, this godly sorrow on your head. And the more you bless, the more conviction is going to come upon them. And out of that, one of two things will be the outcome. The one that's desired is for eventually for that one to come back and say, I'm sorry. I just can't take this anymore. You just one, you know, whatever. I just such a. I just realized I'm just been such a. We've got kids here. I, a <laughs> naughty person. I, I've just been so mean. I've just been so wrong. I've been so. And they repent and they respond to that conviction of the Holy Ghost and they they pursue positive change. That's what we want. In our marriages, that's what we want in our homes. That's what we want at work, right? I mean, you could send your boss home with the Holy Ghost on his head, but not if you act like a jerk like he was. You get that part? The last thing is, is that by walking in love, you have a covenant promise. If they go the other way, instead of repenting and changing, they just harden themselves and they go further and they're obstinate, it will provoke and it will bring the judgment of God on that one for that. And listen, we're not, we may be a victim of some people's absence of love walk, but we are not the judge. I'm not the judge and I'm not the jury. And I'm not the executioner. My job is clearly defined in the Bible of what I should be doing when I'm not being treated properly. Amen? Takes faith to do this. Takes spiritual maturity to do this. But you could do it. But you just understand that uh, if they never turn, they never change, they never repent, they never make it right they will be judged by God. There was a quote here, and I'm trying to get you out of here, I promise. Um, you just write the reference down. 2 Timothy 4.14. Paul's finishing up his letter to Timothy. And he says, Alexander the metal worker, he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will pay him back for what he did. Notice what Paul didn't say. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Think with me for a way to get him good. Paul didn't tell Timothy, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. What did Paul say? He acknowledged that he was mishandled and mistreated by Alexander the coppersmith. And then he said, the Lord... Not me, the Lord is going to pay him back for what he did. Amen. You know, we had a, just short story, we had a precious, my first spirit-filled mentor, Rhema graduate, pastor, man of God, was used mightily of God in the first few years to set my life on a wonderful course. 
And over some course of events and things that I don't have time enough to tell you, I've told it before, he just flat betrayed my wife and I and used our honor for him and his spiritual place and ministry and influence to try to manipulate us out of this church, out of our office, out of this city, and him in. Me out, him in. And we went through hell for several years. Uh, But I tell you what, we took care. We took great care. I have never mentioned his name. If I ever reference it in an illustration, I've never mentioned his name. I have never prayed, Lord, get him. I wanted to. I wanted to get him. He did everything he could over about a three-year period to malign and slander my wife and I and our character and our integrity for, every, for several years, I'm going to say three years, every guest minister we invited here, he wrote them a 10-page letter or more slandering us to that minister trying to get them not to come here. I mean, it was rough. But one of the reasons why our lives and our ministries have been able, you understand, I'm not bragging, we're not perfect people, and I wish this had never happened. And I'm not saying we acquitted ourselves absolutely perfect, but I mean, I, I don't know what I'd really have done different. I tried to be honorable. I was honest. I tried to keep a door open. The door's still open today. I, have done, I did everything that I thought that I could do to reconcile, to explain myself, to be honorable towards Him, and to always be thankful for how God used Him back then. But I mean, I have had to restrain myself from not being bitter or angry or spiteful or wishing them any evil or harm. I don't. Now, I don't have really access, but I don't know that their ministry's ever gone anywhere very far. And we have been able to progress some, at least. And that's in part in that situation because Amber and I made a decision, we're going to do what we can to, we're on our side, we're going to walk in love. In our business dealings with renters and leaser, you know that you know we had a situation where the guy did $10,000 plus worth of damage. Never, never, never owned up one dollar to it. He stole, stole from me, stole from my family, put a year and a half's worth of intense pressure on our finances because of his inaction. Would never own up to it. We tried to take some, we try, I tried everything I could do to settle, to work with. I did go a legal route to try to get a remedy. But then I had to just give it up. The Holy Ghost dealt with me in the shower. Man, I was mad. Oh, I was mad. You, you'd be, you was glad I was by myself behind the shower curtain because I was mad. And I was mad. One of the, my emotions of anger was I knew God was telling me, let it go. But I didn't want to. I wanted, to, I wanted justice. I wanted the wrong to be right. And I was right. And this was wrong. But God would, he just, you let it go. You're going to listen to me and, my, and your wife. Let it go. Well, I had to just bite my tongue and call off the dogs and let it go. Now, he was living on three acres in a brand new, newly remodeled home. And they were living there and doing things were good in life. They moved out, did all that damage, wronged me. And I saw him in Ballard County one day. Just happened to be driving by. And he was the picture of death. And he was in living in a little um, income-adjusted hovel. Of a, and some of those are nice, but you could tell he came out of a place that was not nice. In a plain white t-shirt and a trash bag. And he had lost I don't know how much weight. And he was gray in his color. And he was the picture of of death, And when I saw that, the compassion of God rose up in me. I took no delight in that. I took no delight 
in his condition. But God paid my family back the money. Can't that, it's nothing to God. Just let it go. He's able to. He's going to. If you steal, you can't steal from me. Nobody can steal from me. I'm just going to turn it into a gift. Someone at my, Carl's living there now at my rent house, stole my power washer. Just right off the property. And I just said, well, God bless them. Help them turn it into a business. I'm just turning it into a seed. And I have a better power washer today, and I'm just going to go on. And the devil's mad because he thought he stole from me. I turned it into a seed. You know what I mean? But if God be for us, I'm almost done. If God be for us, nobody can be against you. Nobody ultimately can do you any harm. So you're free to just love with reckless abandon. Because my wife, you're either going to get right with God and change, and that will be great, or God's going to lower the boom on you. And evidently, God kind of lowered the boom on you. He was heading down. Because you can't steal from a man of God. You, you can't steal from a fellow. You can't steal, but I mean, you can't steal from a, a brother in Christ. And then elevate that, a, a man of God in the ministry who extended you every chance and courtesy and things go well for you. But you know, the Bible talks about when you see the judgment come on, a, on an enemy, the Bible talks about, I'm, uh, that reference escapes me at the moment, but don't let yourself delight, the Bible says, in the downfall, in the judgment of your enemy, lest the same thing come on you. So I know uh, we kind of shotgunned it out there tonight, but this love we're talking about, its highest form and expression is giving. Even when it hurts to give. Amen. But there's, there's such strength and power in it. This is how we overcome. This is how we gain certain victory in every situation. We love with the love of God and love never fails. It it always wins. It'll look like it's losing for a while. But in the end, the love of God is always going to win. Amen? Amen. Let's pray quickly. Father, I just love everyone in my church. So precious. You've entrusted them to my wife and I.